Years ago, I made the statement, I've said it several times since, that I believe our problem today as believers, our problem today in the church, is that we are not astonished by our God. And I said that, it's been several years back, I've said that on, on some different occasions. I believe our problem in the church today as believers is we are not astonished by our God. And I said the reason we are not committed to the church or the reason that we have trouble committing to the church or the reason we're not desiring to walk in obedience, that we're not worried about living lives that bring honor to our Savior Jesus, the reason we're not constant in the Word of God, growing in the Word of God, feasting on the Word of God, the reason we're not zealous for the cause of evangelism, telling a lost and suffering world of its Savior, it's not because we're tired, we say that a lot, it's not because we're distracted with all the things, it's not because we got mad at the preacher or we got mad at the church, it's not because the programs do not suit us, I believe it's none of those reasons, now we might say those excuses, but I believe the, those reasons go back to the, the truth, we are not blown away, we are not astonished, marveling at the glory of our God. For if we were, let me tell you something, those things would be a no-brainer. Those things would be secondary. Those things would just be the fruit. They would just happen if we were actually marveling and astonished at our God. Today we start back our second message in our study of the book of Revelation. And as we do, I want you to see God starts the revelation. He starts the message to these churches by showing them a glimpse of his glory. And that's what I think we see here in this, in this first chapter. He's about to make an address. He's about to have this big revelation. And I think he starts by showing them a glimpse of his glory, that they might burn to hear his truth, that they might heed that message. They hear, and he shows them a picture of who he is. Now, let me say this. How awesome is that for us? How awesome is that for us? Let me tell you, my prayer in this study, and my prayer even today, is that we would be overwhelmed by the glory of God. As we go through this study, I don't know what all God's going to do, and I pray it's tremendous. I, I don't know what he's going to do. He says he's going to bless it. But my prayer is that we would be overwhelmed by the glory of God. Listen, my prayer is it would start today. That we today, in the hearing of God's word, that we would be astonished by our God. How awesome it would be if we would live in light of his glory. I look at these hard days, I look at some of the stuff that goes on. How awesome would it be if we walk through those days living in the light of his glory? How awesome would it be if we saw everything according to the lens of his glory? The perspective that we held, it was influenced by the lens of his glory. Today our message, this second message is entitled, A Glimpse of his glory, a glimpse of his glory. We're in Revelation chapter 1, today verses 4 through 7. Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 7. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Revelation chapter 1, beginning in the fourth verse, God's word says this. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, Grace to you and peace 
from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come today, we're thankful that we have a resurrected Savior. We're thankful that we have hope settled, fixed in the person of Jesus Christ. We're thankful that we have the forgiveness of sin, not that we have a debt that we have to work off, not that we have something we have to do to impress you, but in the finished work of Jesus that we stand redeemed, forgiven of our sin. Lord, I pray in this study now, I pray that you would speak. And I pray, Lord, that it would be your word, not mine, not somebody else's, not not some filter of a man, but I pray it will be the, the word of our living God. And I pray, Lord, that you would build your church today, that you would encourage your people today. I pray that we'd be corrected if need be today. I pray, Lord, if there's somebody and maybe many listening that do not know you, I pray in the hearing of the good news of a risen Savior that today is the day of their salvation. I pray that any hindrance to that would be removed. Lord, we, we pray that in all of those pieces, that you would be pleased, that you would be known, that you'd be glorified. We trust it to you, Lord, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. To set the context today, I'm going to go back and I'm going to review the first three verses that we looked at last week. I'll start off in the first verse. It says this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. All right in the very first verse, we find the opening of the letter, and it is self-described as the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, remember, we started last week, and we saw that word is apocalypse. And it means uncovering or unveiling. The message is not a puzzle for us to somehow piece together. It's not some riddle that we have to set out to solve, but rather it is an uncovering. It is an unveiling. The verse says this message, the Father gave it to the Son, Jesus, to show to the church, to show to believers, and the way that he did that is through John the Apostle. Look at verse 2. To his bondservant John, verse 2, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Now, I want you to think about that this morning. Our communicator, the one who God uses to relay the message, the Bible says, is the apostle John, the fisherman from Galilee, the son of Zebedee, the brother of James. It is John, the disciple of Jesus. We know that he is known as the beloved disciple. We also know that he was the friend of Jesus. 
It is this John that is the witness to the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Remember, he is the racer on Easter Sunday morning to the empty tomb. It is also, and we see this in the second verse, it is also John the evangelist, the writer of the gospel, according to John. Now, when I think about that, that is a profound thing. That is a big thing. It says that he wrote, he testified to what he saw, what he heard of Jesus. Now, I want you to think about that. He wrote what he heard. On one occasion, he overheard, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, not only did he write down what he heard, he also wrote what he had learned. And he writes, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, not only those two things, he also wrote down how he was trained and in, in, in the things he had been trained in. And he says, and Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. He wrote also what he found to be true. And he remembers the words of his Savior, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. He also, the verse tells us, writes what he had seen. And so the other disciple who had first come to the tomb also entered. And he saw, can you imagine that? And he saw and believed. And so I want you to understand this morning, he is not some new witness. He is not some new testifier that needs validation this morning. Our communication comes from God through John himself. Then if you remember last week, we ended by looking at the promise of verse 3. The promise of verse 3, it says this. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. Now listen, that's the promise of God. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now I want to tell you that part, that last part of verse 3 has stuck with me all week. As I've gone through the week, that has been, that ending declaration has, has been in my mind. For the time is near. For the time is near. The Greek word for time, it means occasion or season. The word for near means in place, ready, or next. Friends, I want you to be sure of this. The message from God is this. The occasion is in place, the season is ready, and the time is near. Now listen, I want you to hear that. God is telling us the time is near. The season is ready. Listen to me. The time is near. The time is near. And with that understanding, we go to our verses today. All right, let's move to verse four this morning. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. All right, it starts off, John, the author, carrying the message from Christ. John, 
to the seven churches that are in Asia. Now, these are specific, actual churches. Now, as we continue in our study, very shortly they will be named to us. But for now, understand they are, they were actual, literal churches. And so John, to these seven actual churches, he says this, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. Now, I want you to see this morning, because of sin, these are the needs of mankind. Because of sin, we are in need of God's grace. We are helpless on our own. And because of sin, we are absent of peace. That's the reality. Because of sin, we are absent of peace. Now, listen, we have turmoil we have pain, we have chaos, we see division at every turn, but we are absent of peace. And so John says here, grace to you and peace. Okay, stay with me. It's about to, to start to escalate right here. Stay with me. He goes on. Grace to you and peace. All right, watch this. From him who is and who was and who is to come. I want you to see this. There is only abundant grace and there is only true peace established in an eternal God. Now, I want to say that again. That's a pretty big statement. There is only abundant grace and there is only true peace established in an eternal God, be sure we only have grace sufficient for the day, grace enough for the day. We only have grace sufficient for the sum of our sin. We only have limitless grace because we have a limitless God. Our God doesn't have a starting place. Our God doesn't have an ending place. He is infinite. That is because he is eternal. And so infinite grace is established in our eternal God. We only have infinite grace because we have an eternal God. Now, in the same way, there is only true peace, real peace, and lasting peace because our God is infinite, because he is eternal. And I, I, I want to tell you, if he is less than eternal, then our peace can run out. If he is less than eternal, then our peace can come to an end. And so grace and peace are established in our eternal Father God. Understand that. That's the first peace we see today. Grace and peace are established in our eternal Father God. Verse goes on. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. The seven spirits I believe it is talking about the Holy Spirit of God. Now, there are some that would disagree with me right here. Uh, I believe it's talking about the Holy Spirit of God. There are some folks, and they would say, well, it's talking about angels. Well, to that, I would say in the book of Revelation, John has no problem identifying angels. He has just done that. He has no problem identifying angels as angels. And so I do not think this is speaking of angels. Now, there are some other folks that say, well, it's seven other spirits, seven other spirits. Well, there's no basis for that. I can't see where that comes from. 
And so I believe that the Holy Spirit is the one referenced here. I believe the Holy Spirit, a single spirit, is found in the context ministering to seven churches. They will receive the letter inspired by the Holy Spirit. They will understand the letter and they will heed it empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so I believe this is referring to the Holy Spirit ministering to the seven churches. And so the second point is this. The first, grace and peace are established in our eternal God. Second, grace and peace are ministered through the Holy Spirit of God. Grace and peace are ministered through the Holy Spirit of God. As believers, we find God's grace. We are held in God's grace. We endure in God's peace in the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. All right, then it goes on. The start of verse 5 says, and from Jesus Christ, and from Jesus Christ. All right, first, grace and peace are established in our eternal God. Second, grace and peace are ministered through the Holy Spirit of God. Now, third, grace and peace are provided only in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Do you understand that's our gospel? Do you understand that's the good news that we embrace? The, the grace of God that brings the peace of God is provided alone in the person, in the, wor in the work of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Listen to me this morning. You will not know God's grace, and you will never have peace outside of the person of Jesus Christ. And I don't care what you do. I don't care where you look. Try as you might. There is only peace in Jesus. It's provided in the person of Jesus. Let me tell you the good news this morning. You want the good news? We have an eternal God. And we have the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. And we have our Savior, Jesus. And we have available to us grace upon grace and peace that the world cannot understand and peace without end. What a God we have. What a God we have. What a marvelous God we have. Next, continuing on here, John goes further to describe Jesus. Now, if you're not astonished yet, watch this. He's going to go further. He's going to describe Jesus. Back to verse 5, it says, Jesus Christ, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. The faithful witness. Get this, the word of Christ is true. The person of Christ is faithworthy, because Jesus is truth. He does not lie. He will not lie. His word will stand because he is the faithful witness. You want to know who Jesus is? He's the faithful witness. His word will stand. His testimony is true. He is truth. Did you know all people will let you down eventually? Sadly, I, I hate to say that. You think, well, I thought they were above it. I thought they wouldn't do that. All people will let you down eventually, sadly. Do you know all things will let you down? If you put your trust in a thing, I want to tell you all things 
will eventually let you down. That's, the, that's part of the heartache of life. I put all my eggs in this basket and I thought we built something. I put all my trust in this person and I thought we had something. You will be let down. But let me tell you who won't let you down. It's Jesus, the faithful witness. Jesus, the faithful witness, will not let you down. All right, the description continues. Now, I think that's awesome. It's going to get better in this one. The description continues. It says, the firstborn of the dead. Jesus, it's going to be from Jesus Christ. Now it says, the firstborn of the dead. I, I watch this process a couple times a week. The leading robber of peace, I believe, is death. And I, I don't care how you frame it, and I don't care how we dress it up. I believe the leading robber, thief of peace, is death. And I'll just tell you the honest truth is in death there's heartache. In death there, there is regret. In death there is loss and there is separation. In death there's unfinished business that'll never be completed. In death, there is uncertainty. In death, there is pain. And the cruelty and the reality of death robs us of our peace. And you may act like you got it all together, but I want to tell you, it keeps us up at night. It hurts our hearts. It, it gives us anxiety. And the, the truth, the reality, the cruelty of death robs us of our peace. We'll see this. God's grace, the peace of God, even over death, comes not from one who is overcome by death, but it comes from the one, praise the Lord, who has defeated death, who has overcome the grave, and he stands as the firstborn of the dead. Do you see that? Our hope in the face of death isn't in something we ought to do. It's not in some truth we ought to grasp. The, the hope that comes to us in death is the Savior who has defeated death and stands as the firstborn of the dead. Let me tell you this, he's alive. We serve a risen Savior. Jesus is alive. He's alive. He's alive, the firstborn of the dead. Notice this. I, can't, I was going to go by it. I'm not going to go by it. Notice this. It says, firstborn. What's that mean? Firstborn. Here's what it means. Let me, just, let me sum it up for you. It means there's more to come. First fruit, it's more to come. Firstborn, there's more to come. Let me tell you this, and let me get it on record. It's not looking too good for me. It's not looking too good for me. And I'm wound too tight. I've got high blood pressure. They did a cholesterol test, and when they pulled the sample, there was biscuits and gravy in it. They got a chart on the wall. You come in, don't look at the charts. They got a chart on the wall at the doctor's office. I was there. I was looking at that chart. According to that chart, I'm 200 pounds overweight. And I've been 200 pounds overweight since sixth grade, evidently. Thanks to my dad, I've got a family history of everything. You ever get that sheet and they say, what's your family history? Prostate cancer? Yeah. Bone cancer? Yeah. High cholesterol? Yes. Heart disease? Yes. Everything that's known, I've got it thanks to my dad. Family history of everything. It's not looking too good for me. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's not looking too good for me. 
I expect sometime in the next 50 to 60 years I'm not going to make it. <laughs> and you're going to hear he has died. He has died. You'll hear they found him somewhere he's died. And most likely there'll be a service. But I want to tell you something this morning. On that day, you listen to me. I'll be more alive than any day that you've ever seen. And I want to tell you this. And when you gather on that day, don't you say a word about me, but you praise the firstborn from the dead for he has defeated death and he has overcome the grave and he has given us life. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. Praise the Lord. On that happy golden shore, all's peace forevermore. You praise the one who has defeated death. The next thing it says this, he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Wow, what an awesome savior. He's not only those things, he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. We put a lot of stock today in the kings of the earth. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. I'm gonna sum this up for you very quickly. Here's what that means. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He reigns and he rules. And here's what it says. Jesus is Lord. The rest of verse 5 says, To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. Now, as I, as I study the Bible, I always go, that's my new favorite verse. I think this is my new favorite verse. To him who loves us, and released us from our sins by his blood. Let me tell you something. Today, I believe we as believers, we as the church, have an identity crisis. And I believe we forget who we are. Now, I don't know how that happens. That sounds crazy to me. That sounds strange to me. But somehow we forget who we are. And so not remembering who we are we try to fit in with the world around us. Not remembering who we are, we try to find an identity in the culture around us. We try to find an identity in stuff and success. And we are forgetting who we are in Christ. Well, verse 5 tells us, and let me tell you, you need to listen to this. You need to hear this. Verse 5 tells us the church is a redeemed group. The church is a forgiven group. You want to know who the church is? The church is a forgiven group. And I don't care who you are today. I don't care what you've done today. If you have trusted Jesus as the Savior for your sin, the truth of the gospel is you are forgiven, you are renewed, you are redeemed, you are restored. The verse says you are released from your sin. If you've trusted Jesus, you're debt free today. Praise the Lord. Well, let me tell you about their sin. Don't tell me about it. Tell me about their Savior. Well, I know what you've done. Let me tell you, I know what I've done. Let me tell you about my Savior. We are released from our sin in our Savior, Jesus. Praise the Lord. But that's not all of it. And that has happened. Here's, here's, the, here's why I love our gospel. And that has happened because in great love, unimaginable love. There's folks that don't want to say our Savior loves everybody. Listen, he loves everybody. 
That has happened because in unimaginable love, Jesus died for your redemption. Jesus died to pay for your sin. And let me tell you something this morning. When you decide to flirt with the world, when you decide to compromise with the world, when you decide to immerse yourself in the things of the world, you need to remember your redemption comes in the love of Christ, but it comes at a great cost, the cost of his own blood. It wasn't silver, it wasn't gold. When you think, you know what, I'm gonna go back to this world, I'm gonna mess around with this world, I'm gonna flirt with this world, you understand, you're redeemed, but your redemption came at the cost of the blood of Jesus, the blood of Christ. God help us remember that. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Verse six. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse six tells us, Sinners redeemed in the love and the blood of Jesus Christ. We are a kingdom of priests. That's what it says. You know who we are? We are a kingdom of priests. Now what that means is we have access to God. We have fellowship with God through our Savior Jesus. And so because of that, we are a kingdom of priests. Now at that, John breaks out in worship. You know what, you were once far off. You know what, you were once rebels against God. You know what, you were once stained and stuck, ashamed in your sin, but you're now a kingdom of priests. At that, John breaks out into worship and he says, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. He is worthy of our praise. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Let me ask you this. How's your worship? How's your worship? How's your heart toward Christ? How's your worship? And I'll, I'll add this, if it's less than it should be, if it's less than he is worthy of, if it's less than it used to be, the revelation shows us the answer. It's this, look to Jesus. The revelation shows us the answer. If your worship's not what it ought to be, if your worship's not what he is worthy of, if you say, you know what, at one time I used to do this and my heart was like this, but I don't know what's happened to me. My heart's not like that. If your heart's not what it used to be, the revelation shows us the answer is you look to Jesus. He is God's grace to us. He is the provider of peace, the only place we're ever gonna find peace. He is the faithful witness. He is the firstborn of the dead, the defeater of death. He is the king of all the kings, the Lord of all the lords, and he bought our redemption in his love through his blood. If you want to worship today, listen to me, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Verse three, remember back, ends and it says, the time is near, the time is near. What time? Let's look at verse seven. Behold, 
He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be, amen. Let me read that again. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be, amen. Let me say it clearly right here. Not symbolically, not allegorically, not figuratively, Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Jesus, the King, our Savior, the blessed hope. Listen, Jesus is coming again. Wake up. Jesus is coming again. Verse seven, it starts off and it says, behold, I like that word, it's intentional. God picks it for a purpose. Behold, it translates, see, look, take note. And so God says, see, look, take note. He is coming with the clouds. Now remember back in Acts chapter one, Bible tells us that Jesus ascends. And it says, and while they were looking on, a cloud received him out of their sight. Remember as they were looking on, the angel said, this Jesus will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. Acts says he left in a cloud. Revelation now says he is coming in the clouds. It says this, and every eye will see him. Every eye. Now, I wish I could say this in words that would make this bigger. Every eye will see him. Jesus is coming again. It's going to be so marvelous. It is a supernatural event. It is a miraculous event. And every eye will see it. Remember back in the book of Philippians, it says, and those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, every eye, it says every eye, all the earth at the same time will see it. And it says, even those who pierced him, even those that are long dead, those who crucified Jesus They'll see him come. Their eyes, those that pierce Jesus, they'll see him come. And it says, in all the tribes of the earth, not only will they see it, they will mourn over him. Mourn is heavier than to be sad. We think, well, they're mourning, well, they're sad. No, it's heavier than that. The translation in the original language means to lament. It literally means to beat your chest, to be cut to your heart. They mourn, they beat their breasts. One translation says, to well out. Why? Jesus comes and every eye sees him and the nations mourn. Why? Do not miss the warning here. Do not miss seeing the warning. Folks, listen to me. There is nothing worse, there is nothing worse than to have had a Savior, than to have received God's grace, to have the offer of peace, to have been loved by Christ, and to have rejected him. And I want to tell you, I don't know what you think is bad, but there's nothing worse than to have the offer of peace, to have the grace of God offered to you in salvation through Jesus there's nothing worse than to have been loved by Christ and to have rejected him. And as Jesus comes and as his glory is known 
as his majesty is declared, as his dominion now is made clear, those that have rejected Christ, those that have turned from Christ, those that wanted their will instead of his, those that sought their glory instead of his, those that would not have him, it says they will be cut to the heart, they will lament, they will mourn. They rejected Jesus. The verse ends and it says, yes, amen, literal words. Yes, it will be. Yes, they'll mourn. Yes, that's how it's going to be. It will be. Friends, there's an urgency. Hope you're seeing it with this book. There's an urgency with this revelation. There's an urgency to, to receive Christ. Listen, time is growing short. There's an urgency to receive Christ. There's an urgency. I hope you're feeling it to share Christ. It is near is what the Bible says. It's near. What will we do? I have a little Bible. And it, is, it, is, it was my dad's. And it's one of my most prized possessions. It's funny how things shift. Most stuff I wouldn't give you two cents for. This is, this is a prized possession to me. It was given to him in 1979 by his pastor. He was ordained as a deacon. They went through a witness training how to lead people to Christ. And as part of that, it was given to him. It has a message in the inside cover from his pastor. I remember he carried this with him. I remember he carried glasses and books and papers and receipts and seven pens. And this Bible stuck out about this big in his pocket. Carried this in his pocket. Carried it in his suit coat. In it, there's verses that are marked up. There's verses that the book of Revelation, he has notes in it. In it, he has written down some verses how to lead someone to Christ. And I read it, and it's very simple. This is how you lead someone to Christ. It tells you to go to this page. He marked verses. Evidently, that was his goal. And in the back of this little Bible, on the very last page, written in my dad's handwriting, and now fading out with time, he had written this. Lost, didn't know it. Died, didn't expect it. Went to hell, couldn't change it. And that's what he wrote on the last page of that little Bible. And I'm sure that was the motivation. He goes to knock on somebody's door and that's a weird thing. He's going to testify to Christ at work. That's a weird thing. And that was his motivation. Lost, didn't know it. Died, didn't expect it. Went to hell, couldn't change it. Let me tell you something, friends. No sadder thing there is than to have been loved by Christ, to have been offered salvation in his grace, and to have turned your back on our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you the point of this message, two things. First is this, if you don't know Christ, run to him today. Listen, I'm not talking about beating around the bushes. I'm talking about run to him today. He'll save you today. He'll forgive you today. If you, haven't, if you haven't turned to Christ for your salvation, run to him today. He'll save you today. The second message is this. Listen, wake up, church. The time is near, and those that are without Christ will perish. We have the message of good news. Be urgent. You know what's going to matter? Not anything except what's eternal. Be urgent, church. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come, and I praise you today. I thank you today. I worship you today. Lord, I'm thankful that you're eternal. I'm thankful that you are infinite. 
I'm thankful that your grace far exceeds, is more abundant than the sum total of all of our sin. Lord, I'm thankful that you're the firstborn of the dead, that you've conquered death, that you stand as the risen Savior, the hope for sinners. Lord, I'm thankful for that. Lord, we come and I'm thankful that you're the faithful witness, that your word is true and we're not out searching around for the truth, but we have it fixed in the person of Jesus. Lord, I'm thankful that you are coming again. I'm thankful you came once and in your blood and in your love, you paid for me. You paid for us, but Lord, I'm thankful that there's gonna be a day and it won't be long that you'll come again and all will be joy forevermore and all the wrongs of sin will be set right forever and I'm thankful for that day. I pray in the meantime, Lord, that your church would wake up. I pray, Lord, that we would grow urgent even in this hour. And I pray, Lord Jesus, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you, I pray in the hearing of the good news of the forgiveness of sin of a loving Savior that today they turn to you and trust you. Lord, I pray that every bit of it is for your name's sake and for your glory. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to conclude with a time of invitation. And I want to tell you today what a perfect day, what a, what a perfect day to say to what I trust Jesus. If you're here and you've never made that decision, make it today. If you're here and you say, you know what, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I've done. Listen, let's settle it today. Don't walk out of here without it settled. If you need more information, you come, let's settle it. In a moment, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. If God has spoken to you, if he's speaking to you, you come, let's settle that today. Maybe you're here and you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it. You believe God has led you here. You come. We'll unite. We'll serve his mission. We'll uphold his word. We'll preach his good news until he comes back for us. Maybe you're here and you need to follow believers' baptism is the testimony we saw this morning. And you'd say, yes, I'm a follower of Christ. But I've never walked in obedience and, and been baptized, not as part of my salvation, but in, in testimony to the Savior of it. And you come. We'll set a great day of celebration. We'll, we'll signify. We'll testify through the, the act of baptism, who our Savior is. You come, let's take care of that. Maybe you're here today and God's speaking to you. Maybe you're here today and that word is ringing in your heart. How's your worship? Your goal now is to look to Jesus. Maybe you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. I'm going to ask that no one would stir about, no one would hurt, head for an exit. You pray for those who are making decisions. We stand to sing. God is speaking to you. You step out. You come on, I'll meet you here.